My name is Steve Ross. Uh, I'm a senior adult pastor, um, previously fire chief of Amarillo for 20 years. I was in the fire service 39 years total and uh, married Deanna Reagan uh, in 1979. We were married for 42 years. In 2020, uh, I was attending seminary and it was during COVID. I felt like we had uh, everything planned in life. We thought we had everything uh, in order and exactly where we wanted it. I was married to Deanna for 42 years and uh, we had gotten grandchildren and we had an awesome neighborhood and awesome neighbors and awesome family. And I had gone to seminary and was close to graduating and, uh, and I was preaching a sermon on John 14 and Deanna went in to take a nap. Uh, so I preached the sermon and recorded it and her alarm kept going off in the middle of my video and I was, a little aggravated about it so I went in there and when I walked in I could see that she had gone on to heaven and uh, like I said I did 39 years in the fire service so I have a lot of experience with that and uh, I knew we wouldn't get her back but we tried as the song goes you know in a New York minute my life changed I went from being totally in control to being totally out of control the first person that I saw outside of my family was Bart. He told me about Second uh, Corinthians 1, about that it would provide with me the tools to be able to comfort others with the comfort that God would give me. And it made zero sense to me. I kind of went into a Elijah wilderness experience, went into a, a fog um, and really just wanted to be by myself. Didn't want to have a lot to do with anybody and just wanted to go in and reflect and think. and. So I went into the wilderness, and uh, the whole time I was there, God took care of me with his word. He uh, took care of me with friends, and uh, so I was in my cave of Elijah, and then it, uh, Holly calls and says, hey, you need to come to Life Group, and I said, Holly, I really don't want to go to Life Group, and I said, I really just want to be by myself, and uh, I remember the story of Elijah when hid in this cave from Jezebel, and God said, Elijah, why are you here? Well, I feel like that's what he told me. He said, Steve, why are you here? Why are you in your office? Uh, you, have, you have work to do. That I started reading the word and, and my life group started bringing me back and I started becoming social. And, and what happened to me was the Lord put in my heart that he would fill me, he would carry me, he would minister to me, he would teach me, and I would go give that away. And then it made sense to me what Bart said. It, then it... He said that I would now have the tools because of the wilderness I had gone through to be able to comfort others with the same comfort God gave me. And then it made sense to me exactly what I needed to go do. Just shortly before, uh, before she went to heaven, like a month before, we had a conversation regarding about, I had been at seminary and we were listening to missionaries and these missionaries were risking their lives on a daily basis. And I just said, what would we give to, you know, we risk our life to save a life, but what do we risk to save a soul? And I just asked her, I said, would we be willing to give ourselves, give our lives to save a person, one person from hell? And she's a deep thinker. About two weeks before she died, she came to me and she goes, I would. And I said, you would what? And she said, I would give my life to save someone. Well, Bart preached her funeral and her nephew, which she loved very, very much, came to Christ. And whenever she went on, that uh, 
you find out, do you really believe God? Do you really believe what he said? And you have to walk and live your faith. You put feet to your faith to where before it was just lip service. You know, you'd always say it. I knew the correct things to say. I'd been raised in the church. I knew, but it, I internalized it. And, and, you know, it wasn't for God. He knew exactly what my heart was. It was for me to define my relationship to him. And in effect, really totally surrender to the fact that I'm not in control of anything. And the fact that I walk in faith with him and through that obedience, my relationship with him grew so much closer. Good morning. I'm so thankful that Steve, uh, along with so many of you, would share your wilderness experience. Steve has been an inspiration to so many of us, including myself, about moving through grief and loss and difficulty, really that wilderness that we have been talking about. I want to welcome you this morning. My name is Bart. I'm the lead pastor here at EBC. Glad to be back with you this week. Last week, I had a little uh, misfortune, a uh, little minor wilderness experience on Saturday of last week. Um, I, I wish I could tell you that I threw my back out doing something really manly, like deadlifting, like a lot of weight or something like that, but I was, uh, I was getting up out of a chair with a cup of coffee on my back porch and completely dismantled my back, incapacitated, where I had to call Randy, and uh, actually I, I couldn't even talk, I was, it was so bad, I just texted him and said, you're on, bud. And so uh, I'm grateful for Pastor Randy. And uh, my back is better. Thanks for the prayers. Getting better. Still moving a little, uh, little tenderly here. But uh, thank, thank God for prayers and thank God for great pain meds, right? I mean, I, I thank the Lord for that. We are in Exodus chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me as we continue in this story. We've been walking with Israel as God leads them out of bondage and Egypt, where they were slaves for 430 years, and he leads them where? Into the wilderness. He doesn't lead them in a direct route straight to the promised land. He's going to take them on a detour, and we've been talking about what that looks like. Now, now what's interesting is that the Apostle Paul in the New Testament thousand, uh, a, little, a little over a thousand years later, uh, couple, nearly a couple thousand years, tells us this, that their story really is, has been given to us today to help us understand about our own story, about our own wilderness experiences that we all go through that Steve was talking about. And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, he says this to these people who are Christ followers. He says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors where in the wilderness. Our ancestors who walked through this long ago, all of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and that's where we've kind of been over the last couple of weeks. And they walk through the sea on dry ground. And Paul is going to talk about this journey that Israel went on in the wilderness. And he's going to talk about their mistakes. And he's going to talk about their mess-ups. He's going to talk about their responses in the wilderness that, again, are so much just like ours. We end up responding in many of the same ways. And what Paul is going to say is, I want you to learn from that. Don't waste their wilderness, don't waste your wilderness. And he's going to say in verse 11, these things happen to them as examples for us, for the Corinthian church, but also I want you to know for us here today. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. And then he says something really interesting in verse 12. He says, if you think that you are standing strong, 
Be careful not to fall. What he's saying here is many times we look at this story of Israel, and I've done this, where I'm like, how do they not get it? Man, they keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Why won't they learn, you know? Or I wouldn't do that if I saw God deliver us out of Egypt like that. But let's be real. What Paul is saying is don't think that you're above making the same mistakes. In fact, most of us do, and we need to learn from this. This is what Paul is getting at. There are so many things to learn as we go through the wilderness experience. Now, if you're new in this series, let me just recap you. What is the wilderness? The wilderness are these times in life where it feels like life doesn't make sense. Have you ever been there? Some of you might be there today. It's the times of life where it seems like life is even conspiring against us at times where we ask these questions and all of us will, God, are you there? God, God, do you love me? God, are you good? God, can you even do anything about this? And these questions that are natural questions begin to emerge within our hearts as we walk through times of suffering. As we go through times of, of confusion and maybe some pain and difficulty in our lives, it's a time where we often feel lost and we're wandering and we wonder if, we, if there's even a point to any of this. And we learn a lot about what we believe about God in those moments, but we also learn a lot about, about ourselves. We learn much about things that are within us, and that's what we want to look at much of today and these lessons that we see. Let me give you some context in our passage, our main text today in Exodus 15. As we started the series, you know that, that, that the Israelites were enslaved for 430 years. That was their identity now, was slaves to the Egyptians. And God had promised them long ago a promised land that they would be a nation of their own and that they would go there. And they cried out to God for many years for this. And, and God would send a Messiah-type person who would be Moses, who also went through his own wilderness experience to get him ready for this leadership expedition he would have with them. And, uh, and again, as we look at this, God would... God would do these, these miraculous, he would bring these plagues upon Egypt, whose Pharaoh, the, the, the king of Egypt, his heart was hardened, he was stubborn, stiff-necked, viewed himself as a god, and they viewed him as a god, but God was going to dismantle every one of their gods that the Egyptians and many of the Israelites had started worshiping. God was going to dismantle them. Each plague was a direct affront to every one of those gods that they worshiped. And in this moment, they are finally delivered, uh, and Pharaoh releases them. But God does not, because God is leading them out through Moses, God does not take them on a direct route straight into Canaan, straight into the, uh, straight into the promised land. God gives them a detour. He takes them the longer route, the route that wouldn't make sense, the route that would you would begin to think about how how Moses' GPS would start yelling at him about it, you know, recalculating. What are you doing? Why are we going this way? And many of them were wondering this. And so God begins to take them into the wilderness. Now, we've talked about this, that how do you get into the wilderness? Sometimes I have put myself in the wilderness by, by mistakes that I've made. You, you ever been there? I've, I've, sometimes I've, I've misjudged something or I have chosen to sin against God and I end up in a wilderness experience. Sometimes you end up in the wilderness because somebody else has 
done something to hurt you, maybe relationally. And you didn't do anything there, but you ended up in a wilderness-type experience relationally. Sometimes we end up in the wilderness, and this is one of the things we're going to really talk about today, is because the world is just broken right now, that this isn't heaven yet, and we're all really in a big wilderness experience right now. All of us together, we're in a wilderness that is the broken world in which we currently live But God is sovereign over all of these. Now, what you're also going to see is there are many times where God will lead you and me into a wilderness. And he's sovereign over all of these things, but God very deliberately leads Israel into the wilderness. And now he doesn't just send them into the wilderness. He goes with them. And remember, he shows his presence to them by that pillar of fire by night. And by that cloud by day, it's the same column, the same pillar. It's a manifestation of God's presence. He doesn't send where God tells us he's going to lead us. He goes with us. That's really important that we learn this. And where he goes, he's providing, he's protecting them a number of ways by his presence. And all of Israel in this moment, okay, begins to see who their God is. They're learning about God. They're learning about themselves. But what happens? Moses leads them to, because God's leading him, to their, where their backs are up against the wall at the Red Sea there. And Pharaoh changes his heart and he begins to come in hot pursuit after them. And they start crying out, Moses, what are you doing? Were there no graves for us to die in Egypt? You led us here? Are you serious? And this is where they're at. And you know the story that God, that pillar where it was in front, comes behind them, stands between their greatest enemy and them, protects them. The sea opens as God works another miracle where God rescues them. And we learn this, that God doesn't save us from the wilderness, but he does save us in the wilderness. And they go through on dry ground. We know the sea comes and closes up. Okay, I just gave you a big recap of where we are currently at. They are pretty excited about what they've just witnessed God do for them. They are fired up. They are on a spiritual high, um, uh, uh, this mountaintop. Can you imagine witnessing this with your eyes and seeing the deliverance of God for you? And in this spiritual high, this begins to come out in gratitude. They begin to to sing praises. Moses leads them in a worship service where they are singing and they are dancing. And here's what it says in Exodus 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord. That's, That's Yahweh. That's Jehovah. For he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory this is my God, and I will praise him. Now, there, are, there were a lot of false gods that some of them and many of them continued to worship, unfortunately. But, but this is what Moses is saying. And my father's God, the God of the ages here, and I will exalt him. And I love this. The Lord is a warrior. In other words, God fights for us when we're in the wilderness. God fights our battles for us. Yahweh is his name. That's Jehovah. And then if you skip to verse 11, this is what he's going to say. Who is like you among the gods? Remember, he dismantled all these other gods before their eyes. 
O Lord, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. And again, if you keep reading, you see that it's a lot more of the same. Praise to God. They're having a worship service. They are dancing. Miriam has a tambourine. They're, I mean, they're getting after it. Dancing in the streets. They definitely were not Baptists is what we know, okay? They are getting crazy. They're having a party. I mean, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you celebrate if God saved you? Think about that question. Are you with me? Wouldn't you celebrate? Yeah, we do. That's why we should come in. This spiritual high. Now, what we're going to see is, as we pick up in the story, is there is a progression that, that God is going to show them and he's going to show us. They go from all of this water. They're going to have water problems. They go from all of this water, now it's a sea, okay, but then they're going to go to where they have no water, to then where they get bitter water that turns sweet, and then they are going to get living springs of water. But I want you to see the progression, and I want you to begin to think about it. They're on the spiritual mountaintop, and verse 22 says this, then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea. And they moved out into the desert. That word for desert is wilderness. What do we know about deserts? They're hot. They're dry. It's those dry seasons, this wilderness. And he goes on and he says this, the desert of Shur. They traveled in this desert for three days without finding any water. Now that could be a problem. What is one thing you had better have if you were in the desert? Water. Okay, and, and what do we know? Well, uh, doctors tell us that you can go about three-ish days, don't try this, but three or four days without water. Now, they are in a really hot place. I'm sure there's some who have gone a little longer, some maybe a little shorter, but they are in this place where they become at this moment, they get to this place where they are at a breaking point, and they are, remember, they are at a sea of water, where God takes them through the water, and now they have no water in this desert. They have been worshiping for three days on the spiritual mountaintop, and worship is something we absolutely should do whenever, whenever we experience these great things and it begins to spill out in gratitude. We thank you, Lord. Great is your faithfulness. I praise you today. But there is something that I begin to discover about myself, and you probably can relate to this story. Day one, no water. I'm starting to get a little thirsty. Day two, no water. I'm feeling dehydrated. What's going on? Moses doesn't know where he's going. Day three, are you kidding me, God? There's a shift that begins to happen. Okay? There's something that God is going to begin to show. And this is what I know about myself. You probably can relate. I can go from a place of absolute spiritual mountaintop, worship on the mountaintop, to worry in a matter of a couple of days. Sometimes quicker. How about you? I can go from filled with faith and fired up to filled with fear so quick. And God is showing something here. Our worship can begin to turn within us when circumstances are not favorable. Things were not looking good with their physical eye. Wouldn't you agree? Where's the water? What's going on? Why do we keep going further into the wilderness? This doesn't make sense. 
It's dry. It's lean. It's unfavorable. God, what are you doing here? God, why are you leading us further into the will? God, why wouldn't you just take us straight to the promised land? So they go from no water, and we think that's the worst situation, but I'm going to show you it gets even worse. And isn't that how life kind of goes sometimes? You think it's bad, but sometimes you go from bad to even worse. What we discover is, verse 23, when they came to the oasis of Mara, the water was too bitter, too bitter to drink. So they called the place Mara, which means bitter. So Mara means bitter. So the, the oasis of bitter, the water was too bitter, and they called it bitter. Do you think the place was a bitter place? He's reiterating this over and over and over again. Then the people, now we're talking about what I can do right here. Then the people complained. And they turned against Moses. What are we even going to drink? Are you kidding us, Moses? They demand, man, they start making demands. You better find us something to drink fast, buddy. God, this is, they're, they're, they're mad at God, but they're taking it out on who they can see. This is what we do. Look, they see Moses as his representative here. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Keep that in your mind. We'll come back to it in a minute. Moses threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. It was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. He said, if you will listen carefully, here's what he's going to tell them to do. If you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord Rapha, that is, who heals you. Now, I, I want to be sure you understand, he's not saying we won't ever get sick. That's not what he's saying. We're all going to get sick. These bodies are dying. These bodies wear out, so even holding a cup of coffee, getting out of a, a chair on your back porch, you can throw your back out. We're getting older. All of us, we're all physically dying. Every one of us is terminal. Do we understand that? This isn't heaven yet, and we'll get to that in a second. That's not, that's, sometimes this gets taken out of context. He's saying, I'm not going to inflict the judgments upon you that I was bringing upon Egypt here. Some of these things that were happening and so they go from this place of one water problem to another. They go from gratitude to grumbling really quickly. And we see this. And, and, and again, Paul says, don't judge them too quickly. Be careful. Be careful that you, you would think, I would never do that. Because the reality is, we do this quite often. I know that I do. I realize some of this brokenness in my life and how quickly I can go from faith to this fickle attitude and this inconsistency. And, and, and many times it's because expectations that we have are not being met. And when expectations are not being met, then disappointment happens. And when disappointment lingers, then desperation happens. And when desperation begins to spread, then even depression can settle in upon us. Hopelessness. 
And this is where many of them were getting. It makes me think of that uh, that true story of Louis Zamperini. Great book, great movie called Unbroken. Many of you have probably seen that or read that book. And uh, if you know the story, it's back in World War II. And his plane goes down uh, in the ocean there, and they they are stranded in a lifeboat for 47 days. The way they survived was some rainwater. But then they're rescued. But who rescues them? The Japanese rescue them. And they go from the frying pan into the fire into a POW camp. But they were rescued. I mean, it's definitely a wilderness experience. But, but, but it just, it almost seems cruel whenever you think about how thirsty they must have been surrounded by all of this water that was undrinkable. That's almost torture, right? When we think about this scenario. But, but this is what we learn about ourselves is we quickly, we learn this about them. They move from faith to fear, quick. They move from worship to worry in the uncertain times. I can do it as well, so can you. They move from gratitude to grumbling so quickly whenever the dryness happens And we all have been there, and they are ticked off at God. How do you know? They're looking for somebody to blame. I don't think they want to tussle with a big pillar of fire, so they go, Moses! And they start blaming Moses. Now, you got to know something. Moses was thirsty, too. He didn't have, like, a little side canteen, you know, He was just as thirsty as them. Where they start complaining against God and others and blaming, Moses shows us something. Moses cries out to God for help. There's a difference in the complaints. There's a difference in the crying out. Not against, Moses cries out to God. You know what Moses realizes? And so often I come to this place. God, only you can fix this. I can't fix this for them. I can't do this for them. God, you're going to have to do something. It says next, God showed Moses a tree. He could have shown him anything. Keep that in mind. Here's a tree. Take the tree, Moses. Throw it in the bitter water. The tree is going to absorb the bitterness and, 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 you know, but when I look at this story, if you're like me, I think, God, why wouldn't you just lead them straight to drinkable water? Is God punking them? What's going on? Is he messing with them? Just, is he mean? What's happening? Why is God doing this where he would take them for this three-day period it's almost like he's taking them to the edge. Well, what does he say to them? I'm going I'm to I'm show you some things about yourself here. I'm going to show you some things about me. What God is, is, is giving them is he's giving them an orientation in the wilderness. He is about to give them Wilderness 101. And it's for you and it's for me as we are in the wilderness even as we speak. What do I do when I'm in the wilderness? How do I respond in the wilderness? We, we understand. He says, this is what I want you to do. Verse 26, we, we see this, that God uses the wilderness for training. He begins to, to train them. The text reveals the why of the wilderness. I'm going to train you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going I'm to help you go through the wilderness that you are going to go through. Nobody cleps out of wilderness. 
We all go through wilderness, but he says, I'm going to walk with you. I don't send you. I go with you, but I want to show you what you do in the wilderness. He says in verse 26, listen for the voice of the Lord, and then this is what he says, and then do what I say. God's saying it's going to be hard, but listen to my voice. Listen for me. Be still. Be quiet. Quit trying to fix the wilderness. Listen for me. And then, and then when I, whenever I share something with you, you're going to need to do this. I'm going to give you some statutes. I'm going to give you some things that are going to make you a people, a nation. I'm going to give you an identity because your identity has been one of slavery. I'm going to show you you're a son and a daughter. But it's going to take some time because you've got a slave mindset. So he's got them in the wilderness. By the way, what he essentially is saying is, trust me, obey me. You got to start with trust, though. And when he says it, you got to trust. And then you got to be willing to do. It's not just taking information in today. It's what is God going to tell you with what you get today? What are you going to do about that? We don't want information. We want transformation. Trust and obey got me thinking about an old, Danny did that old hymn, I love that. Um, but it got me thinking this week about uh, that song that I learned a long time ago when I was a, a kid in church. And I remember, and I won't sing the song for you, the whole song, but if you know it, man, help me out because I got a bum back. Help me out, okay? <laughs> Trust and obey for there's no other way. Do you know it? To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Some of you have never heard that song. Go read the verses of it. There's something to it. I don't have time for it today. But here's what God is saying. I want you to trust me. I'm going to tell you to do some things that maybe aren't going to make sense. You trust. You lean into me, even in the wilderness. And when you lean into me, this is what he's going to say. It's going to be hard, but you'll even find blessing and peace in your wilderness. Not just one day, but peace right now. But if you disobey me in the wilderness, there are consequences to disobedience. You won't have learned lessons, and so many times we get another lap, and many times God is still working to train us in the wilderness. I mean, that's from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. He said, trust me, obey me. They said, we're not going to trust you, we're going to disobey you. And there were consequences that still plays out in our lives today. Obedience brings blessing even in the wilderness. Here's another part of what God is doing in the wilderness. And God is not only training us, God uses the wilderness many times. It's a place of testing. If you go back to that verse 25, this isn't a test like a pass-fail kind of thing like you have in school. The idea of testing here is the idea of an experience by which something is being revealed within you or being refined within you. Think of it like this, okay? Something happens and it shows something about that which is being tested. The word tested here is not that pass-fail kind of idea. The Bible will use this picture many times of gold that is being, here's the word, tested, Gold is being tested. It goes under intense heat. And when intense heat goes upon the gold that has all of the impurities, all right, bring that idea of that gold up, okay? Do we have that? Bring that up. I want you to see that. See the heat? It goes under that. And then, and then the impurities begin to come to the top. And the goldsmith removes impurities. And, and that gold 
that's you, that's me, is made more valuable, it's made more pure. It is, that is the sanctification process that we are in now. This is what God does. He's, he's showing them it, this, this testing. He's showing them some things that are within their hearts. He's, 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 he's giving them this bitter water experience, and the bitter water was revealing something to them about them. We'll come back and apply that in a moment. They went from, think, no water to bitter water that God made sweet through a tree, now to springs of water. Look at verse 27. After leaving Mara, the Israelites traveled on to the oasis of Elam, where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees. They camped there beside the water. Do you know how far Elam was from Mara? About six or seven miles. They were so close, weren't they, to not complaining. God took them to the very edge to show them some things about themselves. I want you to notice something too. God does not rebuke them harshly at all here. You don't even see a rebuke. Now, they're going to keep doing this over and over and over again because it's a pattern that he's revealing to them and he's going to be refining in them. Same pattern we have in our lives. But he doesn't rebuke them. He just reveals to them right here. He's sweet with them. He, he, he shows them something and he provides for them what they need. But they go to no water to this springs. Now, this is significant, okay? Springs... It, the spring is living water. It's, it's not even temporal water. It's kind of the significance of eternal water. It's this idea of where they had this bitterness. Now they are in a place where now all of these numbers mean something. You need to know that numbers are important within the scriptures. Um, this 12 springs, it, there were 12 tribes of Israel. This uh, 70 palm trees, 70 and the number seven is this, this number that speaks of perfection and wholeness and completion. They were moving from a place that was bittersweet now into a place of living water. That was, that was again, significant about it being unending water. Elam is a picture of abundance. Elam is a picture of fullness, wholeness, completeness, even in the wilderness. God can do something in our hearts. There are takeaways for us. What do we learn from this as we look at our own story, our own lives? Well, Paul said these stories are for you as much as they were for them. They're an example for us and how we are to respond in our own personal wilderness. What kind of wilderness are you in today? You're probably in one. If you're not in one, you're going to be going in one. Because this world, as we see, is a wilderness. I want to I want you to think big picture for a moment, okay? This is really important you catch this because all of this, all of this is pointing to Jesus. I know you may not think, how does this relate? Let me show you. Think about this. It's stages of our redemption. God saves them the same way that he saves us today. Israel is in a place of no water, which again, they were slaves as we are slaves to sin, they were dead in their transgressions. They cry out for a Messiah, one who would be like a Messiah comes. His name is Moses. Moses brings deliverance. He takes them through the sea, through the water, where they were going to be dead. And now they're, 
They are saved and made alive. But they don't go straight into the promised land, do they? They go into the wilderness. They go into a place where God is going to train them. He's going to test them. He's going to refine them. They're going to go into a place that is bittersweet. The wilderness is bittersweet. And this is much of what our, our salvation looks like. It would be just a little ways down the road that they would get to go to the place of abundance and wholeness and perfection. But not yet. Are you with me? Not yet. We are not home. We got to get that. This is not heaven. We are still in the wilderness right now. And in the wilderness, what do we, what do we discover? I mean, just, just like they needed a Savior, we need a Messiah because we are dead with no water. And our Savior is Jesus. Our Messiah is Jesus. And Jesus takes us from death to life. But we go into this wilderness that is bitter and sweet. And there are certainly sweet moments in this life, but there are pools of bitterness all around us. That many times we drink from and we spit that water out because it's, it's undrinkable. But Elam is just down the road. Elam is this place where, where he is leading us to. And this is God's redemption story. That's big picture view. We certainly go through smaller wilderness experiences, okay? But I want you to know that this is a big picture of our redemption. This is a big picture that points to the need for Jesus. Our salvation, by the way, is not that you just get saved and the moment you place your faith in Christ, you go straight to heaven. doesn't happen that way. We are justified. That means declared by God that we are free from the penalty of sin because Jesus took our penalty. But right now, we are being sanctified. This is the third part of our salvation and this is, he sets us free because of the work of Christ from the power of sin over our lives. And that's what we're in right now, the wilderness. The third part of our salvation is called glorification. And you know what he sets us free from? One day, we will be set free from the presence of sin. And brothers and sisters, there will be no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more cancer, Praise God, right? No more broken relationships, no more addictions, no more, no more selfishness. We're not home yet. We're not home. This, this is what we see is our life in the wilderness, though, right now. This is what it is. It's bittersweet. It's bittersweet, and... Jesus is the game changer in all of this for us. Those of us who are in Christ, when we understand this, that we're not there yet, that, that it tempers our expectations. We understand that there is going to be brokenness in this life right now because this, this world is still marred by sin, which means this, that we are still going to get sick. We are still going to have people that pass away that we love. But here's, here's the thing, because of Jesus, I want you to think where we would be without Jesus, with this truth that we understand, it would just be pure bitterness. But what we see is this, this lesson that we learn is that because of Jesus, Jesus has overcome our greatest enemy, which is sin, which separates us from God, which is death. 
Therefore, we look forward to Elam that is just down the road. When we gain perspective about this, we understand that what we are in right now is temporal. But what Jesus did is eternal. And it lasts forever. But we're not in Elam yet. Jesus told his disciples, and he tells us this today too, just really quick. He is, he is about to go to the cross. He's getting them ready, and he's saying, I'm about to leave you here, but I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not going to just be beside you. I'm going to send one who's going to be within you. And he is the Holy Spirit. But life for you is about to get really hard in the wilderness. But I'm not leaving you alone. I don't send you into the wilderness. I go with you into the wilderness. And this is what he's telling them. And they're like, tell us everything. We want to know. And he's like, you can't handle it. Many times we want to know it all. Look at what he says. There's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it right now. You know what that tells me is there's tough times that are going to happen. And I'm going to actually spare you a little bit. And what I just want you to do is to trust me. That I walk with you step by step in those hard times. Friday has happened. I'm going to die on the cross. But Sunday is coming. And because Sunday has come, and look at what he says. I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Let me ask you a question. Is that just when you get to heaven one day? No, he's telling them, I'm telling you this, the, all this is that the Holy Spirit is going to live within you. I'm not beside you anymore. I'm within you. So you can have peace in me, you ready, in the wilderness right now. That's what he's promising us. But hang on because Elam's down the road. Because I built a lot of room for you to come and be with me. James also tells these Christians who are being persecuted. Oh, by the way, let me back up. In fact, let me just finish this passage and then I'll skip the James passage. But here's what it says. Jesus says, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. He doesn't even just say trials and sorrows. He has to throw many in. But this is, this is what he tells us because of the Holy Spirit. Take heart. Take heart because I have overcome the world. That's your anchor in the wilderness. That's your anchor in whatever you're experiencing right now. The question we have to ask is, is it possible even to have joy in the wilderness? And he tells us it is. But it doesn't come because we will ourselves into it. It comes through a surrender to him that he is who he says he is, and he has done what he has said he has done for us. And we rest in this truth, and this is a choice. We all choose. As I said, you don't clep out a wilderness, but you get to choose how you go through wilderness. We're all going to go through wilderness experiences. How are you going to go through your wilderness experience? This ties into this final lesson. God is showing not only who he is, but he's going to show them something about themselves. Just real quick, last lesson, last point. The wilderness reveals things about ourselves to ourselves. God often uses bitter situations to reveal current bitterness that's in our hearts. They probably were bitter. They've been slaves for a long time. I think I'd get bitter. 
what God is going to do is he's not going to rebuke them, but he's going to reveal some things. I want you to see some things about yourself. We learn a lot about ourselves not when things are sweet. We learn about ourselves when circumstances are bitter. And many times we can either, we can either move into the sweetness with the Lord as we trust him, or we can just get even more bitter. And maybe that is where you are today, is a bitterness has taken over your life. God was showing them they were inconsistent. I am too. You probably struggle with it like I do. So as soon as things go south, they start grumbling, they start complaining, they lash out, they blame. This is what we do. These are patterns. They're going to continue to do this over and over again. God is showing them what is in their hearts. We can resist what God's doing in our wilderness, and he'll give us another lap, or we can begin to lean in, and, and, and I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but begin to trust. What wilderness are you in, and what is he revealing to you today? It may be that you see some bitterness. It may be that you are scared today. It may be all of these things that they felt and that we feel but remember what he showed Moses. He said, Moses, Moses cried out for help. He said, Moses, I want you to look and I want you to see a tree. And I want you to take this tree and I want you to throw it into this pool of bitterness. And I don't know what pool of bitterness that you are drinking from today, but God says to you, I want you to look and I want you to see a tree. And it's a tree that Jesus hung on and I can take even bitterness in this age right now and I know it doesn't make sense but bring sweetness in your life even in the bitterness the tree absorbed the bitterness this tree absorbs all of our bitterness this tree is what helps me hang on for Elam that is a few miles down the road does that make sense? It all points to Jesus. I want to ask you to pray with me. And as we pray, maybe you're in a bitter place today. I've been there. We all go through this bitter season. We all go through these hardships. And if that is you today, I want you to be able to rest in him right now. He doesn't rebuke you today. He didn't rebuke them. He just revealed some things to them. And he wanted them to, to begin to trust him. He wanted to show them some things. He says, I want you to listen to my voice. When I begin to teach you these things, sometimes things aren't going to make sense, but I want you to trust me and then I want you to do what I tell you to do. place of bitterness today, I want to encourage you to look to Jesus. Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus as your Savior. You don't graduate straight to heaven, but he will walk with you in this wilderness right now. Put your faith in Christ. Jesus, I, I believe you are the Messiah. I trust in you. I turn from my life to you. I want new life. Bring me from death to life. <laughs> 